Hi, I'm Anya Katz, and you're listening to A Millennial's Guide to Saving the World. I started this podcast because I was tired of being stereotyped as lazy, triggered, and entitled. I wanted to give voice to a different kind of millennial and invite us to write a new story. One of a generation willing to challenge the status quo, embrace nuance and paradox, and reject PC culture. This podcast isn't about finding answers. It's about asking the right questions. How can we reinvent ourselves and the narratives we've been expected to inherit? How can we take ownership over the ways we participate in our own suffering? How can we move beyond victimization and into empowerment? How can we fix ourselves to fix the world? It's time for new dreams, new stories, and new futures. Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode. Thank you for tuning in. I'm sitting here looking at some serious snow going on outside. The trees are being weighed down by snow and the flakes are so huge. Um, It's amazing. I was really wondering what it would be like to spend uh, the winter in an actual winter climate, which I have not done in quite some time. I guess I moved out to the West Coast, I don't know, like seven years ago, um, and really hadn't spent a winter anywhere cold for a while and was kind of worried, like, ah, oh, I want to buy this land in Colorado and build a house here, but fuck, like, what if the winter is going to be so miserable? And I was just saying yesterday, like, I'm, it's already February and I'm still waiting for, like, the winter to be bad. Like, it does not stop me from going outside and taking walks. It's gorgeous. It's calming. It's just great. I'm having absolutely no issue with it, which is relieving um, because of my presumption around wanting to live in Colorado. I thought, I don't know, maybe I'll get there and be like, shit, I can't do this. But in fact... I'm super into it and I can't wait to watch the winter turn into spring and the spring turn into summer. Um, Seasons are amazing and I feel super connected to those cycles and I'm really grateful that I can just partake in all of them. Um, So I planned on releasing this podcast a little while ago, but this thing happened that sort of prevented me from doing so, which was that In the last episode I released, if you listened to it, I talked about a program that I wanted to launch. Um, I didn't have a name for it yet, but I knew that I wanted to gather a group of people together to spend one lunar cycle together, and we would all track the moon moving through our charts over that month, and we would learn about the astrological archetypes together. And by the last time I had... The last time I released a podcast, I just had this idea. I didn't know what I was going to call it. I didn't know when I was going to start it. And basically, like, my idea to execution was in less than a week. And I put a website page up on my website, um, anyakotz.com slash lunar circle, and I posted the link in my Patreon And basically within 24 hours, more than half the spots filled up, which was very unexpected. Um, And I think I shared it maybe once or twice on uh, social media as well. And basically I thought it would be super unfair 
to announce the Lunar Circle, which is what I ended up deciding to call it, on the podcast if there weren't enough spaces for everyone to sign up. So I thought, okay, well, what if I just don't talk about it on the podcast yet, wait for all the spots to fill up for this first one based on just me posting it on Patreon and on social media, and then I'll launch a second one in March And that one I'll be able to talk about on the podcast because there will actually be spots for people. So that's what I did. So the first Lunar Circle that I launched, we're going to start in February. We have 17 people. And the second one, all of the dates are on my website for the March Circle. Um, Lots and lots of details there. Again, it's Anya Kotz, A-N-Y-A-K-A-A-T-S dot com slash Lunar Circle. And basically, I've been just really, I've felt the call to teach astrology. And um, this feels a lot more aligned to me than giving readings, to be able to give you all the tools to read your charts, to look at the transits, to feel into the archetypes on your own without needing an astrologer to give you a reading or give give you their interpretation. That to me feels extremely, extremely valuable. And so I was trying to think of a way to share that with all of you in a way that wasn't dry or generic. Um, And one way that I know I still do this, one way that I still lean lean into these archetypes and learn about them and learn about my chart is through a lunar cycle. So a lunar cycle is 28 days and it passes through an entire astrological chart in those 28 days. Um, So it's passing through the same signs for all of us, but because all of our natal charts are different, Um, what planets we have in those signs and what houses those signs are in differs for each person. So it gives us a really unique, um, specific, uh, personal way to, again, not only just learn about the archetypes, but learn about how they show up in our own charts. So if you are interested in that, please head to my website, um, send me questions via email, via Instagram, via Patreon, wherever you follow me. Um, but a lot of details are there. I will likely be doing more of these than just the two that I've launched thus far. Um, the one that's happening in March is mostly morning hours. The one that I already filled up in February was mostly evening hours. So you, if you are someone that lives in Europe or just morning works better for you, this is definitely the one to sign up for. Um, I forget the exact dates, but we begin about mid-March with the Pisces new moon and it's going to be very collaborative. So this is going to be less about me giving lectures, although that will happen a bit. I'm going to be teaching you about my interpretation of these archetypes, these myths, these signs and planets. Um, but really I want all of you to bring something to the table. So it's going to be more like a seminar style workshop. So we're going to go off for the week. We're going to experience these archetypes in our own way through nature, through music, through meditation, through really anything that works for you. And then we're going to come back and everyone's going to share. So let's say we're trying to explore the archetype of Scorpio, and that's happening over the course of whatever week it is. Um, All of us are going to go out. We're going to explore the archetype of Scorpio in general. We're going to explore it in... um, uh, in relation to our specific chart, our natal chart, and then we're going to come back and talk about it. So maybe someone will have heard a song that reminds them of the archetype. Maybe someone will have had an interaction or experience. Um, one of the ways that people say is really good to learn astrology is to give readings because that way you can see how the archetypes show up in lots of different ways in multiple different people's lives. 
Um, so this is yet another way to do that, right? We can give readings, but we can also sit together and talk about it. We can talk about how Scorpio shows up differently for you than it does for me, or how it's similar, or how your insight adds to my insight. Um, so it's a really great way to see how these things are multifaceted. Um, astrology is a practice of multivalence. There isn't one way that these things show up, right? An archetype is based on a story, and a story is complex. And not only is it complex, but it evolves over time, and it's really up to us to interpret it for ourselves. Um, so this is just going to be a really great way to get a lot of input from lots of different different people and lots of different perspectives. Um, so that's really cool. So it's way more valuable, in my opinion, than going and just getting a reading where you're just getting one person's interpretation and you might not even have the tools to explore the archetypes on your own, right? So I'm giving, I want to give you the tools to do that on your own. Plus, you're going to get the insight from the 16, well, 17 other people in the group, including me, to sort of add to your experience. Um, there's a WhatsApp group chat that I'm going to set up for each circle so all of you can communicate with each other and with me throughout the length of the course. Um, I am going to, I think <laughs> this is still idea information, but I think I'm going to create playlists um, for everyone to add to. So I'll have a playlist for each sign and we can all add songs that remind us of that archetype. Um, that's kind of in the works. I'm going to send everyone custom uh, transit calendars for your specific location where you are now. So you will know exactly when the moon passes into your second house, when it passes into your third house, you'll know exactly when the moon hits your Mars. Uh, well, you'll know exactly when you have your lunar return, which is when the moon hits your natal moon, which happens every month. Um, so it's really a way, like, even if you don't experience, let's say, the archetype of the moon hitting your Mars in Scorpio, like, even if nothing necessarily happens, by tracking the moon throughout your chart, it gives you an opportunity just to at least think about all of these different placements in your chart throughout the month. Um, so it'll be really interesting. I imagine that some of us will just have feelings about what these archetypes mean. Some of us will have exper direct experiences with them. Um, so it's going to be fun. We're all going to share this with one another. Um, and I say on my website, if you are the type of person that is like the kind of person that sits in the front row and raises your hand all the time in class, this is definitely, definitely for you. But also if you are not that person, if you're the person that's normally kind of shy and feels a little bit more vulnerable about speaking up, I really want you and people like that to use this group as an opportunity to kind of practice vulnerability, practice sharing. Um, I see this happening so much in these Patreon WhatsApp groups that I have, where I think so many of us have had the experience of shyness or like being a wallflower. I remember this was an identity I thought I had. <laughs> like I legitimately thought I was a shy person who didn't like to share. And what I realized after finding friends in a community and people that were like-minded, I wasn't at all shy. I was super fucking outgoing. I mean, like, hello, I have a podcast. Um, so I really want to help bring that awareness to anyone else who may feel similarly. Like maybe you're not shy. Um, maybe you're not afraid to speak up. Maybe it's just that you haven't had the environment in which to do so comfortably. So I hope for some of you who might feel a little bit more intimidated by sharing with a group to use this experience to kind of move into that. So again, the March dates are up on my website, onyakots.com slash lunar circle. 
I hope to see you there. We do, I do already know of probably about five or six people that want to take this one. So if you're interested, if it's going to be like the first one that filled up super quick, I imagine this one will as well. So, um, yeah, I hope you will join us. Uh, what else do I have to talk about? WhatsApp groups. On that note, I have just started the fifth number five WhatsApp group for patrons, patreon.com slash Anya Kotz. If you'd like to support the podcast, but even more so if you'd like to really move into getting involved with this community even more, um, Patreon is definitely the way to do that. Um, I have these group chats that are normally cut off around 20, 25 people, depending on how active everyone is, but we just started the fifth group. So if you'd like to be one of the founding members of the fifth group, now is definitely the time to sign up. We also have a book club. We're about to have our live um, Zoom call for Cosmos and Psyche, which we some of us read over the winter. The next book club I'm going to launch is going to be for March, and the choices that I'm going to give you for the books are going to be um, sexuality-themed books. So very much looking forward to that. We also have workshops. Um, so mostly the workshops are going to be taught by either myself or for or former guests or other patrons. Um, and those are all available for people that sign up at the $10 and up level. However, if you do sign up at the $5 a month and uh, level, you will also get access to my astrology 101 workshop that I did. I don't know. Was that a month ago now? Um, it's a three hour workshop that basically goes through all of the basics of astrology. It's uh, required for anyone that signs up for the lunar cycle to watch, but it is available to all patrons at all levels. So if that's something you're interested in, if you want to watch that first and decide whether or not you want to do the lunar circle, see if you like the way that I teach astrology, highly recommend going to patreon.com slash Anya Kotz. You'll get access to that. And there's lots of other stuff there as well, depending on what tier you sign up for. Shirts, stickers, there's a contact list for everyone um, in all of the tiers, in all of the WhatsApp groups. So if you're planning a trip, uh, road trip uh, across country, you can find people who also listen to the podcast to meet up with. Um, I think it's very, very likely that I'm going to be starting a Discord server as well. As amazing as the WhatsApp group chats have been uh, for getting, for allowing you all to meet and communicate with each other personally and really get to know each other, I do want to create more spaces outside of the contact list for you all to talk amongst the groups. Um, so I think I might do this in a Discord server, but I haven't done it yet. But likely that will be coming and will be available to patrons as well. And the last thing I would like to talk about before we get into this episode is my friend Dana, which by the way, I'm very excited to bring you. Um, I was friends with Dana back when I had a food blog, um, which I think probably some of you know about, some of you don't. I actually just posted this really long and elaborate Instagram story that took me like three hours. Like, Jesus, that was a lot of time. Um, but I really wanted to kind of tell the story of the sort of biggest transformations that I've gone through in my life. Um, and I've talked about these transformations on the podcast here and there, but I know all of you come to the podcast at different times. And I think it's not super common that people go back and listen to all of the episodes. Although I do recommend going back and listening to whatever episodes seem to resonate with you. Um, but I just felt called to share my journey a little bit more uh, in terms of my own transformation. And I did that on Instagram and spoke a little bit about my, uh, foray into the food blogging world. Um, so go check that out if you haven't. I saved it as a highlight on my Instagram at 
Anya.Kotz. It just says, this is me. And I also plan on, I did an episode who it was like a little over a year ago now. It was called You Can't Rush Your Healing. And it spoke about my journey and transformation and sort of hero's journey specific to my physical health and how my physical health interacted with my emotional health. And the next episode I plan on releasing will be a solo episode where I sort of walk you all through that same period of time in my life, but more specific to my like spiritual journey. Um, I hate the term spiritual awakening, but I guess that's kind of what it was. So stay tuned for that. Anyway, I always think it's fun to bring people on the podcast who I knew in what I kind of refer to as a former life, which is definitely how I feel about my food blogging days. Um, especially those who I really, those people who I really resonated with at the time and who I think have also grown and transformed and are doing really amazing things. And Dana is definitely one of those people. So looking forward to bringing you that conversation. But first I want to talk about something that's been on my mind a lot and that I'm seeing kind of reflected back to me in a really interesting way. Um, I have a friend, one of my closest friends, who I met during my astrology apprenticeship, actually. And I love this person deeply and I'm deeply inspired by this person and grateful for her presence in my life. And I've sort of watched her over the course of her own transformation. And it was interesting because she left me a voice message on WhatsApp the other day and she was telling me this story. She's actually supposed to come visit me in Colorado in a couple days. And so she leaves me this voice message and I hear her on the other line say like, okay, I just need to cut to the chase. She uh, works in real estate and for quite some time since I've known her, but I think even before that, she's really tried to um, set out on her own journey, become an astrologer, like make hats. She has all these different ideas of what she wants to do, but she's felt very tied into this job she has and the security that it brings her. And of course, through COVID, um, that job has shifted. The security of that job has shifted. So she's been able to work from home. She's been able to work fewer days a week. Um, but this job has always been like, you know, how is this job helping you get to where you are versus how is this job keeping you from where you want to go? So she leaves me this voice message. She's like, I just want to cut to the chase. I just got a call from work and they want me to go back to Arizona, which is where she was living before, which is where the office was. Now she lives in Colorado. They want me to go back and spend more time in Arizona and go into the office three days a week. And they basically said, like, I, they offered me like a thousand more dollars a month to sort of take on this more present um, role than I am now since post COVID stuff. And I'm listening to this and I'm kind of horrified because I'm thinking like, oh my God, she's going to say, and I accepted it and I'm going back to Arizona and sorry, I can't come to visit you. And instead she said, after she tells me this whole story, she goes, and I'm just really not interested in that. Like I'm so into this freedom that I have. It's nice that they're still paying me and that I can work a few days for a week, but I don't want to go back to being restricted by that job. And I'm just not going to do it. And in the past, there have been offers that she's gotten from this job that she's accepted. But I started to think about how the only reason or one of the main reasons that she was able to say no to this job was because a few months ago, more than a few months ago, she ended a relationship. And this friend of mine is very similar to me in the sense that relationships feel like a priority in our lives. We feel very comfortable in partnership. We both have Libra moons, which 
If you don't know what I mean, you can learn about that in the Lunar Circle or in my Astrology 101 course. Um, But we're both very committed to partnership. And she had a relationship and she's also kind of a caretaker, again, like me, again, a Libra moon thing. Um, You know, we'll sort of give whatever we can more than is necessary, more than is healthy to a partnership in order to keep that partnership alive. So she had this partnership and she really felt like it was her responsibility to take care of this person and to provide for this person. And so the job, you know, she was really kept in the job in many ways because of the relationship, but she ended that relationship. And when she left me this message, when she said she turned down this offer from her job, I realized like, you know, this decision I felt was really only able to happen in a comfortable and aligned and secure way because of a previous decision that she made, which was to leave this relationship. So it started to, you know, not that I've not ever thought about this before, but it just became very clear to me that these decisions, our path, our journey to our most aligned, authentic, happiest, fulfilled selves, this only happens based on a series of decisions. They're stacked, right? So her ending that relationship, she had no idea what the next decision would be. That that saying no to the relationship led to her ability to say no to the job, which is you know, inevitably going to lead to something else, some other opportunity in the future that she's not aware of yet, and nor am I. But I think it's important to think about our journey as steps and recognizing that one step, like we're, I think a lot of us are really afraid to make a decision to leave the job because we don't know where it's going next. And we know that like, well, this one step doesn't like bring me to utopia. So I need to just make the step that like automatically sends me to utopia, right? Like leaving this job is going to create all these different unknowns and I don't really want to do that. So I'm just going to stay here until it seems like there's a, an island that I can see across the water. So I don't have to leave this one until I can see the other island, but it really doesn't work like that. You really have to take one step, which leads you to another one, which leads you to another one, which means you have to have a lot of faith, right? You have to know, you have to know this. You have to recognize that although you take a step, and you don't know where it's going to go, does not mean that there won't be another one up ahead. You just have to have faith that there will be another one. So as an example in my own life, I decided a couple years ago to enroll in an astrology apprenticeship. I actually knew at the time I probably didn't want to be an astrologer, but here I was about to invest $3,500 in an astrology apprenticeship. So I just had to be comfortable with the fact that that investment would make itself known to me as far as how it would be integrated into my life at a later date. And honestly, I feel like it's taken two years since I've graduated from that apprenticeship to understand how that training and that astrological knowledge is going to factor into my life. And it factors into my life through the podcast. And now it's factoring into my life through teaching astrology through this lunar circle. But I didn't know that at the time. So I just had to have the faith that my investment and my choice in that decision was going to lead me to many more opportunities in the future. Maybe those opportunities would have uh, presented themselves two days from then after I graduated or two years, as was the case for me. But I still made the decision. You know, I just did the same with this tea course that I'm taking that I plan to talk more about. I'm taking a course to learn how to do a tea ceremony. I have no idea 
how that's going to factor into my life. Like there's all these different sort of random tools that I have, these random practices, but of course they're not random, right? Like eventually all of these things make sense. The fact that I had a food blog, the fact that I worked in marketing for um, natural products companies. At the time, I didn't really know where I was going. I didn't know where that path was taking me. But in retrospect, it all makes sense. In retrospect, I'm super grateful for my time working in that industry. I'm super grateful for my experience and knowledge about marketing. All of these things make sense if we have the faith to keep going. I think when we stop or we be, we're too afraid to take the next step, that's really where the panic and the anxiety sets in. The, the anxiety and the panic is a result of the stagnation not actually as a result of the decisions. Because those decisions, while terrifying, are also exhilarating and also teach us about our capacity to do this, right? So my friend's decision to break up with her partner, then her dis- which allowed her to then move to Colorado, which then allowed her to roll- enroll in an herbalism course in New Mexico, which then allowed her to say no to her job, which is going to inevitably allow her to do another thing and another thing and another thing. With every one of those decisions, we recognize our strength and we recognize the importance of stepping into the unknown and to stepping into what we're afraid of. Because the more we do that, the more we see how it's a part of the path. And the more we can see how those decisions are a part of our path, the easier it becomes, I think, to make those decisions going forward. Like, oh shit, okay, well, I enrolled in that astrology apprenticeship and I really didn't know how that was going to pan out, but now I see how it does. So the next time I decide I want to make an investment in something or move or break up with someone or whatever the thing is... I have more confidence now that even though I may not know where that's leading me, I know it's leading me somewhere. So I wanted to mention that because I feel like it applies to all of us and it applies to every decision. It applies to deciding to enroll in a random lunar circle. It applies to the decision to leave a relationship, to move, to say no to a job or say yes to a job. We have to understand that even if we don't know where it's going in the moment, it's going somewhere. It has to. Like, we are creatures that move forward. This is one of the, I think, just most brilliant, most important insights to have about life and about humanity. Um, I think I talk a lot about how, you know, the type of progress maybe that we um, have right now in the civilized world is not the type of progress we, we need, but that doesn't mean we stand still. I don't think humanity has the capacity to be stagnant. I think we're always evolving. We're always moving forward, even if that forward movement looks more like a cycle or move, or looks like we're going back and then we're going forward or it just looks like an uneven path. It's still movement. It's still desire, right? I think that is a core aspect of humanity is that we desire things. And I think when we are out of touch with that. When we don't know what we desire or we don't feel that what we desire is legitimate, I think that's death. I think that leads to stagnancy, which I think leads to death. You know, the, the capacity to know what we desire, think that it's legitimate, and feel powerful enough to go get it, like that's life force right there. And desire is all-encompassing. Desire is sexual. Desire is spiritual. 
you know, we can desire a myriad of different things, but if we cut ourselves off from that, or we don't feel that what we want is worth going after, like, what are we doing? You know, I think we just die. I mean, that's what happened to me. (laughs) Like that stagnancy, that, that not actually pursuing my authentic path. I mean, literally my inside stagnated and I got sick. And I had to flush that shit out of my system and I had to allow myself to keep moving and to keep processing that stuff and allow my emotions to flow, allow my desire to flow. And then I was okay. Then I could be healed. Then I could keep going. Um, And that's hard, right? I mean, I think the hardest part, well, I think it's all hard. I think locating our desire is hard because we're so cut off from our intuition, from our self-knowing, from our self-trust. But then even like cutting through the cultural expectation, the familial expectation, our friend's expectation, if what we desire is different from all of that, we have to feel confident enough to know that it doesn't matter and that we have to go get it anyway. And that even if that means losing our entire family and all of our friends and our entire community, that us moving toward that thing will bring us to a more aligned community, a more aligned family and friends that understand us and accept us for who we are. I know all of that's super, super, super hard, but maybe if we can just parse it down a little bit and see it as little steps, one step that leads us to the another, the next step, which leads us to the next step then we might feel a little bit okay, a little bit more okay being lost, like more okay being unsure. Because at least we know that like, that's what the process looks like, right? If change is easy, if moving into something else is not that big of a sacrifice, I don't actually think you're changing much of anything. I don't really think you're moving away from where you are at all. I think these things go hand in hand. We can't change and we can't transform without dying, right? Like there's so many different quotes and sayings of like, you can't have a new life until you leave your old life. You know, you can't, you can't be reborn until you die. That's a part of it. So although the death is scary, although the unknown is scary, we just have to accept that that's a part of the process. And it's beautiful in my mind. It's beautiful to see my friend going through this And to see her able to lean on to me, to lean on to other people who have also gone through that. And I know all of you are far away or listening to this through the airwaves, but like lean on each other. You know, that's why I started these WhatsApp groups. That's why I'm starting the Lunar Cycle. I feel like really not, this isn't for me. Like this is for you guys. I was so lonely and so isolated and so devastated by having to go through this process on my own when I was going through it. And truly, I just thought like, when I get out of this, I have to create something that will help other people go through this and have people who they can model their own journey on, their own behavior on. Like I have to give that to the world. So lean in to this community if you're feeling like this. Share vulnerably. Allow yourself to die and allow yourself to be accepted by these people in this space and all that we're doing together. So on that note, I am going to play you into today's discussion with a Jose Gonzalez cover called This Is How We Walk on the Moon, which in so many different ways, I feel like relates 
to this podcast intro. Um, but really when I heard this song, it's just like, yes, uh, some of the lyrics are each tiny, tiny move is all I need. And I jump over every step is moving me up, moving, moving me up. This is how we walk on the moon. One step leads to the next step, which leads to the next step. Every little blip of a step, every tiny step is moving you to where you want to go. So enjoy the song. Enjoy this conversation. I love you all madly, and I will talk to you next time. Every step is moving me up Moving, it's moving me up Every step is moving me up Moving, moving me up Each tiny, tiny move it's all I need and I jump over Every step is moving me up Moving, it's moving me up
Dana and this is this is exciting and a special episode um because Dana and I were both in like the food blogger paleo blogger world many years ago I guess you're still sort of there um I jumped ship for sure um but I really wanted to have you on because I really respect the way that you handle these things um or just approach these things rather food diet all of that good stuff um and I also thought it would be really interesting to talk about, like, both of our journeys, but also specifically your journey from, like, <laughs> when we started out with all of this versus where we are with it now and, like, what we've learned. Um, so maybe the best place to start is if you just want to introduce yourself a little bit to the audience and, um, yeah, maybe talk about, like, why you wanted to start a food blog, how this happened, uh, why you got degree, a degree in nutrition and all of that. And, um, yeah, then we can talk about where, where things have gone from there. How many times we've evolved and become different Pokemon (laughs) along the years. Yeah. Um, okay. So my name's Dana. I'm a dietitian, nutritionist and body image coach. Um, I'm relevant to today because we're recording on Friday after the domestic terrorist attacks that happened. I live right outside of DC and I am thankfully safe. (laughs) Don't have COVID, you know, all of the checkboxes, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so, okay. Going back. Um, so I, funnily enough, I used to work in politics and then I realized, fuck this shit. I hate it so much. And so then I was like, what am I going to do now? Cause my whole life growing up in this area, I was like, I want to work in politics. I want to go to law school, whatever. My parents are lawyers. And so that was kind of like ingrained to me, even though both of them were like, you don't want to be a lawyer. Trust us. Surprise. I'm not. So, (laughs) (laughs) um, but so when I was in college, I developed celiac disease and I also developed an eating disorder. So during that time, I got really caught up in the like food is medicine trope, which I talk about that in a very different light today, but we'll get there. But so I got really caught up in that and I was like, okay, celiac disease, you have to cut out gluten in order to heal. So I want to learn more about nutrition. I started getting like really into cooking and stuff because I did not know how to cook. And I was like, I am not going to just eat chicken and spinach forever because that would fucking suck. So um, my whole family is Italian. So I had like this grieving period of like, oh my God, I cannot eat pasta or bread anymore. What am I going to do with my life? So I started cooking and making all these different recipes and stuff. And people around me were asking like, oh my God, that food looks so good. What are you doing? You should like start a blog or something. And I was like, I don't know what a blog, like how to do that or anything. I'd been following blogs for years, but I was like, whatever, I'm just going to do it. So I kind of fell into the food blogging space. And then I feel like it was only maybe like I can't remember if it was like six months later or if it was like a year and a half later, I then went to Expo West, which is how Anya and I met. And she was like, I'm going to show you how to work with brands. And I was like, what do you mean working with brands? And so we kind of like got into that. Um, And it was funny because 
we could kind of tell even then, like you had been working in this space for a while and you were like very jaded about all of this shit. You're like, don't take them seriously. Don't take them seriously. This is what really happens. And here I am mm-hmm. like deer in headlights, super green. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to absorb everything. So a couple of years down the line, um, I had, all of us had started doing like work with, um, like whole 30 recipes and, you know, like paleo recipes and like in all of that kind of realm. And then eventually I was in, um, I had gone back to school after I quit politics to get my health coaching degree. And then I was like, this is cool, but legally I can't practice nutrition in Maryland if I just stick with health coaching. So I went back to grad Mm -hmm. school to get my nutrition degree. During that time, I also became a whole 30 coach, which actually means nothing, but you just have to take a test and say that you've done the whole 30 before and then pay them some money and you become a coach. Um, and you originally, you did actually need some other kind of like either nutrition certification, or you had to be a doctor or some kind of practitioner or something. As far as I know, you don't need that anymore. Um, anyway, so After a little while of doing that, I started to see a lot of patterns of people that were getting caught up in the food is medicine trope, but to an extreme and that doing these kinds of elimination diets and programs was leading to like extremely restrictive patterns, people doing these programs for like a year when they're only supposed to be, well, quote unquote, supposed to be done, you Mm -hmm. know, for like four weeks or something. And it was leading to people um, going into remission or like having a flare up basically of all of these different kinds of not only chronic health conditions, but being driven back into like eating disorder and disordered eating behaviors. It was causing binge eating and everything like that. And I had started working more with people who were talking to me about their relationship with food and how they weren't able to heal their gut or heal their adrenal issues or their thyroid because they couldn't do these elimination diets because they were so triggering for them. And I was like, Ooh, this is interesting. And something that I never learned about in school before. Mm -hmm. I want to learn more about this. And then when I realized that when I was working as a whole 30 coach, I had this moment and I was like, holy shit, am I making this problem worse? Which right. it definitely at the time felt like I was. And so then I had this like major break and was like, I'm not going to do whole 30 coaching anymore. I'm not going to do, I'm not going to promote these elimination diets anymore, you know, any of that. And so I went first <laughs> evolution for me, or I guess maybe the third, but first <laughs> in my like <laughs> nutrition career was like, I'm no longer doing the food as medicine as it's taught, which really is very orthorexic. And it's interesting because in Western medicine, it's like, oh, you have this problem. Here's a prescription. And in the functional medicine realm, it's like, you have this problem. Here's this elimination diet. Like and this here's supplement. these supplements. Yeah, exactly. yeah. And it's the same shit. Right. And it's like people... It's funny because in functional medicine, and I have my own practice and I also work for a functional medicine doctor, and it's like we do talk about healing from the root cause, which food can be part of a root cause for people, but it's never the one and only cause unless it's something like celiac disease or it's a like anaphylactic allergy. And even then, there's some deeper healing that needs to be done. Right. And no one was talking about that, and no one was talking about how until, at least as far as I knew, until people started to come out of the woodwork when I was like, look, doing these kinds of programs and patterns is throwing people into binge eating. It's throwing into them into all of these crazy restrictive patterns and disordered eating patterns and everything with people, and I don't want to be a part of it anymore. Um, and that led to the like biggest 
public shaming that I've ever experienced in my entire life. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I mean, so basically it was, so this was um, a little over two years ago. So about three years ago, I had that moment and I was like, oh fuck, am I contributing to this problem? Mm -hmm. So the whole next year I was saying, while I was still a Whole30 coach, mind you, I was like, people need to stop using the program in this way. It's creating all of these problems, blah, blah, blah. But I had never said like, I'm not doing Whole30 coaching anymore, even though I wasn't doing, it was all semantics, right? right? So then finally, when I came out and I put this on my podcast, which at the time was only about a year old, did not have many, like many people listening to it at all. It was more an announcement to like the people who follow me. I'm like, just so you guys know, these are the patterns that I've been seeing in the whole 30 because of that. I can't with good conscience continue to work in this because it's fucking up people's relationship with food. And I made very careful to say, again, I have parents for lawyers. I was like, I did not say the program is causing people to have eating disorders. I never said it was about everybody, but people hear what they want to hear. You know, we lived through 2020. We know exactly what, you know, filtering news sounds like. Mm -hmm. And not only did the cult that is the Whole30 community come after me, but also the program's creator came for me publicly on Instagram, via email, via all of the places, and basically like slandered my name. I don't know this for a fact, but I have a suspicion that they, behind the scenes, talked to many of the brands that I had worked with before, and we were like, we don't want you to work with her anymore. Um, and apparently there was a lot of bashing of me done in that coach's Facebook group, which I knew because I had friends in there who told me about it. And it was just a really toxic environment, um, wow. which even like, you know, one day out of this happening, I was obviously really upset and like, what the hell? Like, are you kidding me? I'm saying that I'm doing this because for my professional integrity, I don't want to do this program anymore. And now you're basically going like mama bear on me, which like I get if somebody comes for your baby, like you're going to do something about it. But again, I didn't come for your baby. I said, I'm not doing this anymore because these are the patterns I'm seeing in my clients anyway. But even then I was like, um, I'm really glad that I did this because clearly I was even in even more of a toxic community that I, than I realized. Right. So basically since then, um, I now specialize in helping people with chronic health conditions by helping them work on their relationship with food and their body, but also teaching them how to use nutrition in a neutral healing way from like an add in approach rather than an elimination approach. So that's where I am today. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. I didn't know all of that. I mean, I knew that you'd kind of like opted out of that just like overarching paradigm, but I didn't realize that it got that bad or that like cancely fuck. Um, yeah, let's yeah, talk. It was like a hundred percent cancel culture, which right. I didn't even know what cancel culture was <laughs> at the time, but that's basically what was happening to me. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, let's talk about the orthorexia piece because you know, I, it's weird for me too, because before I started eating a paleo diet, like I've never had an eating disorder. Like I never struggled with any body image issues or that's not true, but it wasn't anything that was like controlling my life in any kind of a serious way. Um, and I, and of course, like it was only once I started like eating healthy and like living a paleo lifestyle that all of a sudden I found myself really, really controlled by food, which only 
got worse and got worse and got worse over time because the way that I came into that whole world was because of my own health issues. And I started eating this way and I felt a little bit better, but it didn't get all better. So I just thought, okay, the way to like get totally better is to make this more and more strict. Um, and then there was also like, I'd like for you to talk about this too, because there's, there's the personal aspect of it for sure. But then there's like the machine of this world And we both went to IIN, the Institute for Integrative Nutrition. And what I loved so much about IIN was the focus on like non-food solutions to problems. And I remember when I started my blog, like the very first post I ever wrote was within that vein. It was all about like going and climbing a tree. Like it was like so innocent. And I was like, this is amazing. But of course, I couldn't really make money by talking about going out and walking and climbing a tree. So then it was like, okay, so now I need to do recipes and now I need to work with brands and now I need to like do all this affiliate stuff. And before long, within like two years, my blog was no longer about like a well-rounded approach to health. It was like, I was just trying to make a living. And I, I don't think that people who haven't had a blog who are, or who haven't sat on that side of the table in that world understands that like, what they're reading or what they're consuming is coming from this like very sort of capitalist, like not super authentic place, if that makes sense. Yeah, I'll start there because that's a very real thing, right? So like when you have a website that is primarily content driven and you make either ads or affiliate income or sponsored post income from that stuff, what you need to do is make it as potentially popular as possible, right? So to give you like very real terms, when I stopped doing Whole30 stuff and I took almost everything Whole30 off of my blog, my ad income fucking tanked, right? Because when I, I like to think of myself as like in this middle ground approach, right? I don't do, um, completely functional medicine. I obviously don't do diet culture. And those are, those are the extremes, right? There's like, well, now there's like diet culture and anti-diet culture, right? And if you're not being inflammatory in everything that you're saying, if you're not doing like so we're recording in January right now. If you're not posting whole th- hashtag Whole30 or hashtag Paleo or intermittent fasting or whatever, like you're not going to get, it's not clickbaity, right? It's not like Whole30 at Trader Joe's, right? We all remember how popular that was, <laughs> right? If you're in the food world, right? Like you would get th- like thousands of hits every single day, which directly translates into ad revenue, which translates into more brands seeing yourself, which translates into them wanting to work with you and everything like that. So if you're not like on either side of the spectrum, it's a lot harder to grow a big audience. And it's also a lot harder to make that ad revenue or affiliate income or anything like that. So that was like a big kind of struggle also because, I mean, to, to be quite frank, like the, I quit Whole30 at the beginning of the year, right, in January and looking at my income from that year versus the year before, I had this moment where I was like, at first your initial urge is like, oh fuck, did I do the wrong thing? Like I'm going to make less money this year than I did last year because I didn't have all of this ad revenue. I wasn't doing coaching programs, you know, all of that other stuff that came with it, like all of those brand partnerships and whatever. And then I was like, wait, morals and ethics. (laughs) We're on the right side. You know, like I would rather take a hit to my income rather than perpetuate this problem. Um, So that leads well into the other part of like the orthorexic food is medicine part and how that relates to like these capitalist structures, right? So the problem one of the many problems with the food is medicine trope is that 
at its heart, it is really well-intentioned and it did develop as an alternative to the, you have a problem, here's a pill, Mm -hmm. right? And it also gave people um, more kind of like power and control. And it was empowering because it was, in the past, it was like, you have a problem, you got to go to the doctor. And the only solution was, okay, here's a pill. And so many people who come to functional medicine, who come to the food as medicine kind of uh, paradigm, had seen multiple doctors who couldn't figure out what was wrong with them. So it was refreshing to hear, okay, there is something else that you can do about it and you can do it yourself Mm -hmm. and you don't necessarily have to see a practitioner, right? But then the problem is, on the one hand, people would stop with food and they're like, oh, food's going to fix everything, which going into like the marketing of all of this, you'll see like goji berries will cure cancer and ashwagandha will cure all of your adrenal issues and blah, blah, blah. And they're like, and then there's all these brands that are like superfoods. We're going to market all of these. And of course, because we're millennials, everything is personalized and customized. It's like yours has one eighth goji berries and two eighths of ashwagandha and this, and it'll cure all of your hair and your hormone problems. Right. And it's like, Companies are capitalizing off of all of this. But then at the same time, the reason that it can become very orthorexic is on the one hand, people stop with food and they believe like the buck stops here with food, like I can cure everything with food, which then leads into this marketing spiral and this all or nothing mentality that is promoted by the diet culture industry, but perpetuated by the wellness industry. So if we think about the diet culture industry, the fitness industry, Very easy example. During the holidays, they're like, eat whatever you want. It doesn't matter because it fuels all of our capitalist pockets, right? There's all these ads on TV you can see for like Sara Lee pies and, you know, buying whatever for your loved ones for the holidays. And then in January or like as soon as Christmas is over, it's like time to sign up for this 30-day shred challenge. And it's like, one... Who is benefiting off of this marketing and what is it doing to people? And the reason that that continues to work cyclically is that the people who benefit from this marketing are the diet and fitness and the retail industries, which are now basically like one and the same. And it may, because of the marketing that they do, it makes you feel like shit. It makes you feel like you're not enough. It makes you feel like you have no control. And then they sell you the solution. They tell you, okay, the solution is sign up for my 30 day, whatever it is, whether it's fitness, tummy teas, supplement program, diet program, whatever it is. But then they tell you the only way, and this is where food as medicine becomes a problem. They tell you the only way to reduce inflammation, to be healthy. Now we're tying health into it, right? And when health is a value that you hold, it becomes scary to think, wait, I can't not do a diet in January because I do value my health. But because they promote this all or nothing mentality of either you're doing the whole 30, 100% or you're off the walls and you're eating all of the things and now you're feeling like shit about yourself because we told you you should feel like shit about yourself, right? Then it becomes this cycle where people will do a program in January and then they quote fall off in February with the Super Bowl and then March they're like, oh shit, it's time to do a detox. And then it becomes too restrictive so they quote, fall off again. And then in April, they're doing, you know, whatever. And then in May, it's like, oh shit, it's time for summer. Got to get your summer body on. And it's every single year, it's the same thing. And the reason that they do this is because 
you would never keep going back to their programs. It wouldn't be a profitable business model if it didn't work like this, right? And this was one of the other things that kind of like put me over the edge with the Whole30 program too, because one of the things that they say is that the program will help you heal your relationship with food. And my thing became, okay, well, one, I know that that's not true because of all of this evidence that I'm getting from clients and all of these people on social media and whatever. But the other thing is, if it truly did heal your relationship with food, it would be a one and done. You would never need to do it again, but here's the problem. That's not a sustainable business model. So what do they do? They promote it and people do these official elimination diet programs all together in January and May and September. And then people do their own with the coaching program. And then it's just like this whole clusterfuck basically of like, now we all feel like shit because we're, to- we're being told that we're not good enough. And the only way to feel good about yourself is to get some more control into your life. How do you get more control into your life? You need to eat healthier. How do I do that? I do this 30 day program, which requires me to sign up for whatever. And then when it's too restrictive, or I decide that I want to have a piece of birthday cake on my birthday, because God forbid, then you feel like I'm now off the walls because I had one thing that is not on the plan and now your solution in your brain. And it's, I want to say I'm throwing like a lot of compassion and grace out to people who are in this cycle because there's a reason that you feel this way because they want you to feel this way, right? So it isn't a bad thing if you feel like you're trapped in the cycle. I would be more surprised if you weren't trapped in this cycle, right? And thinking about how like, it now is so black and white. It is so on the wagon, off the wagon, that now you think the only way for you to feel better and get more control is to go back on their program, which then you're ba- like, tell me that isn't a binge restrict cycle. Right. That's where the orthorexia comes in. Yeah. yeah. And let's talk about that from the perspective, like more digging into like the ancestral health and paleo world. Because I remember the first time that I ever saw the phrase orthorexia, it was talked about by someone who'd been a vegan for a really long time. And of course, like me feeling super self-righteous in my own choices, like I was, you know, like neck deep in the paleo world at that time, doing sort of similarly restrictive types of things. But but because I felt like I was coming from the right place, because like I was eating like our ancestors and like I was eating nutritious food and I wasn't starving myself, like it was like the orthorexia thing was kind of laughable and like not relatable to me. Um, And it wasn't until many years later that I realized, like, you can behave in those same ways no matter what kind of diet you're eating. And it became very clear to me and partially why I decided to jump ship, which, like, I just could see so much um, toxicity within the paleo world that was pretending that it was, like, intuitive eating and, like, whole food and, like, nutritious blah, blah, blah. Um, So I'm curious to hear, like... I mean, one, I feel like you have both. You have your personal experience with it because like you were, you had celiac disease and you were eating this way too. And then you were also talking to clients who were experiencing this. Um, So I'd love to just like unpack that a little bit. Like what, how can these even, you know, nutritious, nutrient dense diets affect us in similarly toxic ways? Yes. So orthorexia is new to the DSM-5. Um, so the traditional, quote unquote, um, the eating disorders that everybody knows about are um, anorexia and bulimia, yeah. right? So anorexia is basically not eating any food at all. That's a very broad 
paintbrush, right? And then there's bulimia where there's purging involved. And then over the years, the things that have been added to the DSM-5, so there's binge eating disorder, there's avoidant restrictive eating disorder or something. Mm -hmm. I can't remember. It's called ARFID. I cannot remember the acronym (laughs) ever. And then there's orthorexia. So orthorexia is defined as an unhealthy obsession with healthy eating. So you can have orthorexia and still be eating, quote, enough. You can have orthorexia and still be eating what you might consider to be like a balanced diet, right? You can have an eating disorder no matter what size you are, right? So the sneaky thing about orthorexia is that A lot of times it's easy to pinpoint people that have anorexia if they already existed in a conventionally smaller body before they had anorexia, right? You can look at somebody and say, wow, that person is malnourished, right? Now, you can't tell this about someone who's in a larger body, right? And in fact, this is another conversation wing that we could go into. There's a huge problem in the medical system with doctors basically prescribing anorexic recommendations to people that are in larger bodies because of the amount of fat phobia that goes on in the medical system. But with orthorexia, which is really almost like promoted in a lot of these spaces because from in like the ancestral health world and in the paleo world, at least when we were in it, it was very kind of like you mentioned, like self-righteous and what we would now call privileged. Right. And it's like, oh, if you don't eat this way, you're never going to be healthy. So it's like, okay, so you're telling everyone who's not of the same socioeconomic status as you that they're never going to be healthy because they can't afford to eat your fucking moon juice that you're selling for, you know, $50 a bottle. And then the other thing that comes up too is like, when we're eating like our ancestors or, you know, the paleo way, first of all, It's not how they ate, right? (laughs) But another thing is like that ignores a lot of the cultural foods that people have grown up eating, which now demonizes those cultural foods that they ate growing up, which are their comfort foods. They're like a core staple of their cultures or their ethnicities or their races like they're not race, culture or ethnicity, like their staple core foods that they eat. And now those foods are demonized as like with an intent to basically like whitewash their entire diet for lack of a better word. Right. And it is so incredibly damaging when, I mean, we went to paleo FX, right. Which was a really fun conference, but when you look back on it, it's like, Whoa, this is so problematic. Right. And People are, you know, you start with this like core food plan, right? You've got like Lauren Cordain's book, like the paleo diet, and then Rob Wolf's the paleo solution, or, you know, I might've flip-flopped those, but whatever. And you had this like core food plan that was like, okay, only eat, you know, these certain things and then don't eat processed foods and don't eat sugar and whatever. And, you know, if you've got like a really debilitating chronic health condition, eating that way for a while might be really helpful to bring down the amount of inflammation in your body. I'm never going to say that that's not true, right? But the thing that we don't take into account is that's only one factor, right? So that's, we said, like, if you have a debilitating chronic health condition, this might be helpful. That ignores genetics, culture, socioeconomic status, preference, relationship with food, other health history, right? Like all of these other things. And so 
we would go to these talks and people would be like, well, if you have this, then you have to eat this way. Or if you have this, then you have to eat this way. And then, you know, they were really informational talks. And as people who are really into the research, like we really appreciated that. But then you go on into the expo floor <laughs> and the five seconds after they're telling you that you shouldn't eat processed foods, they're like, here's our paleo protein bar. And here's our paleo cereal. And here's our paleo whatever. And we're like, wait, what? But it's weird because the people who are talking about like biohacking their way to health and saying don't eat processed foods turn around and they're like well i have a coffee right. that you should buy or well i have this that you should buy and it's just again you know going back to the intersection of the food is medicine becoming basically like a debilitating roadblock for people who are like, now I believe that I'm never going to be able to be healthy unless I can afford all of these things that people are telling me to eat. Right. And at the same time, fueling yeah. the marketing machine. Yeah. I had this very interesting moment, which I feel like at the time I didn't realize was as significant as it was, but I was working at Suja at the time and we were talking about like developing a product that was going to be um, like recommended by some sort of famous, you know, health person. And one of the people that we were talking to or that we considered was Mark Sisson. And I've really liked Mark Sisson. Like he's always been super nice to me and just like an amazing guy. And I do still think that he has been very transparent and very honest about like his entire journey through all of this is like sort of like the godfather of this movement. And then kind of like, well, I've been thinking about this. And Chris Kresser is another one who I think is like very good at like big picture shit. But I remember I went to have lunch with him. It was the first time I ever met him in person. And I was there to, like, discuss this, like, partnership. And he was sitting there eating um, a plate of food that included, like, a very large portion of white rice. <laughs> and I was like, and this was even before, like, rice was, like, even remotely acceptable in the paleo movement. And I remember sitting there and, like, he felt so self-conscious about it because he knew that I knew who he was and that, like, I was paleo. And so he felt like he had to, like, explain. And he's like, oh, well, I just had a really big workout. So, like, glycogen, white rice, blah, blah, blah. Um but it was it was really interesting to see like what is the real life expression of a healthy version of this. Um and I do think like going back to the beginning of the conversation, it's extremely difficult to talk about a nuanced healthy approach to health because it's not a sustainable business model. Like it's just not. Um and I I'm interested to hear I guess your own journey with this too, but you know, for, and we talked about this, I think when I was on your podcast, but like my discovery that I think probably 98% of my problems were psychological and emotional in nature, not food related and dealing with those psychological and emotional issues is actually what really made me healthy in the end. And I realized like I could eat a lot more than I thought I could, as long as I was coming from like a place of, um, like happiness and fulfillment. Um, so I'm I'm interested to hear your experience with all of that and, and how do you approach that when people come to you and it's like very clear that, you know, they're really unhappy or they're in a shitty relationship and they're trying to like take the, you know, they're trying to avoid that problem by like solving it in some other way. Yeah, that is one of the most common things that happens is when we look at the reasons or the contributing factors to developing a, like, it's complicated relationship with food and your body, there's obviously all these, like, institutionalized factors and cultural factors and societal factors and everything like that that are basically telling you at every turn you're not enough, right? But then, 
again, their answer is diet and exercise. And so when people feel like they are, this is very, very common with teenagers and eating disorders. They feel like they don't have control over some aspect of their lives, right? Whether that's because of a past trauma or because they're in some kind of, um, you know, not great home situation, but it happens to everybody, right? It doesn't only happen to people who have trauma who are not in a, um, you know, great home situation. It can happen just because you're growing up as a teenager in 2020 or 2021. And it fucking sucks to be a teenager with all these mean kids and social media and everything. Right. So like one thing that I want to say before I go into like, how is, how does the approach work is in regards to mental health and everything, whenever I get someone who has a diagnosed eating disorder, um, I always recommend that they work with a therapist in addition to me because I'm not a therapist and I am really big on like drawing the lines with scope of practice, right? And I want to make sure that my clients that I work with are getting the help that they need. I've actually turned clients away before because I told them, I was like, look, a food plan or like us working on your food right now is the absolute last thing that you need. But they think it's what they need because Food is the one thing that people feel like they can have control over because you're eating, you know, whatever amount of times that you eat every single day, you can, you know, control the food that's going in your body, right? So people view that as this is my one thing that I have control over. And that was something that I had succumbed to in my eating disorder as well. There were just like, a lot of things that are outside of my control, you know, obviously like appearance played into it too and feeling really insecure and all of that stuff. And as a teenager, when you're in college at any aspect of your life, it's really easy, especially as a woman, but it's not only for women, right? Across all spectrums of the gen or all genders of the spectrum, we're told in our society that if you are smaller, then you'll be more attractive to whoever you find attractive and they, you know, whatever gender finds you attractive and it'll be easier for you to be with someone. So you won't have to be alone and die alone. That's basically the end of the day. Right. And that's most people don't want to be alone, at least not alone forever. So in an attempt to seek out love and belonging, basically it leads back to let me control my food because I feel like this is the most immediate thing that I can do to get to that end. So if I start to see that food is a coping mechanism, because that's really what it is, right? If I start to see that food and exercise, especially those are the biggest ones, right? Are coping mechanisms and it's manifesting in a damaging way, or if it is manifesting in a way that I think is going to be a roadblock because it's actually just a signal of a deeper issue, then I'll almost always recommend therapy. So I can help people kind of like uncover that this might be an issue for them, but I can't necessarily help them go back into their trauma and fix, not fix, but you know, help uncover that trauma or anything like that. So therapy is almost always the way. Um, And specifically with eating disorders, I almost always will recommend a specifically like eating disorder trained therapist because I can't even tell you how many clients come to me and they're like, oh, I'm already working with a therapist on this stuff. I'm like, great. You know, the first couple of times this happened, I was like, great. I don't even have to recommend therapy. This is awesome. And then they'll come to me and tell me and they say that, well, my therapist that thinks that I should do this with my diet or my therapist thinks that I should lose weight. And I'm in my head, I'm like... (laughs) 
is your therapist a dietitian? Like, is your therapist a nutritionist? Does your therapist realize that they're causing you trauma right now that they're going to have to fix later? Like what? So that's kind of the caveat there. Um, but you know, I think the kind of unique way that I approach this, because most of the people that work with me come with either gut issues, thyroid issues, or adrenal issues, right? Right. Like they're burned out, right? And the interesting thing is that I find for most of these people, one of the core reasons why they have developed this kind of like triangle of problems is because of their behaviors around food because of their beliefs about their body, right? So that's where I start with the symptom analysis and everything like that. And then we talk about, okay, you know, what have you done in terms of elimination diets and, you know, everything before and everything is of course done with like no judgment. Like people say as much or as little as they want. It's a completely safe space. Like legally, I can't say anything to anyone unless they, unless they sign off and say, you can speak to my therapist or doctor, right? So they feel like it's a safe space. And then we start to kind of peel back the layers, like, an onion, a cake, you know, whatever you want it to be. And then we eventually get to the place where it's like, oh, eventually I got myself into burnout because I was leaning into these all or nothing perfectionistic tendencies about my work and my body and fitness and food. And I've been going, going, going for so long, trying to control my weight and control my size for the outcome of, you know, whatever we were talking about before. And now you're completely burned out. And now you have no sex hormones. Your hair is falling out, right? You can barely see, you can't fall asleep at night, but you're exhausted in the morning you barely can do any kind of workout without feeling kind of flattened. And now you're having all of these gut issues and then farther down the line, and now you're having all of these thyroid issues, right? So when we go back to food as medicine, if you look at that from just a functional medicine, purely only food as medicine approach, you'll get put on a thyroid food elimination diet plan. You'll get put on a low FODMAP diet for your gut or something like that. And, you know, the science behind there is valid. Like doing a gut healing protocol can really help with your mental health, right? But it's not going to fix the trauma that got you here in the first place. And it's not going to fix your relationship with food or your relationship with your body, which caused you to do all of these behaviors that then got you to the adrenal burnout, to the gut issues and to the thyroid stuff. So I start at the end, meet people where they are. And then try and work my way back and then using and teaching them to go back to things that have, you know, quote, worked for them in the past. So people will commonly come to me and say like, oh, you know, I've done this, you know, whatever, like sugar detox or paleo and I felt really good when I did it. And I was like, okay, well, we're not going to go back to doing that because we don't do diets here. But what we can do if you realize that you felt really good doing that. What if instead of you can't eat sugar, you can't have alcohol, you can't have all of these things. What if instead we just started adding in some, for example, like gut supportive nutrients while we're working on your relationship with food, while we're working on your relationship with your body, because luckily stress has there's been a lot more research on how stress is such a huge physiological and obviously psychological factor, but how stress has physiological ramifications in the body if left unchecked, which means we're all fucked for 2021, basically. But if 
the stress around food, around your body is left unchecked, it can cause all of the things that we've been talking about. It can mimic the symptoms of food sensitivities. It can give you all kinds of gut issues. It can obviously lead to burnout. It can lead to thyroid issues. It can lead to a flare-up of autoimmune diseases, right? Like all of this other stuff. And I think what food as medicine ignores is that relationship with food and is that relationship with your body. Because if you just do an elimination diet and then you go back to what you were doing before and you don't get rid of those toxic thought patterns, you're just going to end up in the same space, right? It's like putting a Band-Aid over like an artery that's open, right? You might stop a little bit of it, but like as soon as the Band-Aid pops up, you're screwed, right? So really trying to go back to the root cause like functional medicine does, but not just, oh, you're having all of these symptoms because you're having issues in your gut. So now we need to do a gut healing protocol. That's a great start. But if that ignores the trauma that you have, the perfectionist tendencies that we have, people pleasing, you know, all of this other kind of stuff and the, the, every, the stress that people carry around every single day, one of trying to figure out their health because they've been told that you've got to do food Mm -hmm. as medicine, you've got to do, you know, whatever, or they're still caught in the, I have to eat less and exercise more. And they're trying to constantly shrink themselves. They're never going to be able to get to true healing. Yeah. And let's talk about the stress piece a little more too, because I remember being told within this whole space, like within the paleo world, within the functional medicine world, like there was, there was always the sort of like addition of, oh, and reduce stress. And I feel like that for me at least was so like you, at least in my experience, like there's no way I could release stress unless I fundamentally made a change in my life. Like it wasn't like, oh, okay. Like, and it's sort of self-punishing because then you think like, why can't I reduce stress? Like, I don't even know what stress feels like necessarily because I've lived like fucking 26 years by being like an anxious, neurotic person. So that's just like my bottom line. I don't like I would literally think that like I was totally running on empty and like such adrenal fatigue. And I now know what that feels like. But at the time I was like, I don't know, like I I live in a house and I have a partner and I go to work every day. Like, what's the problem? Um, and of course I was just like fundamentally unhappy and unfulfilled and my relationship wasn't great and I wasn't happy in my job and like, I didn't have enough time for myself. Um, so I, I would love for you to talk too about how like we can't stress is just not like a switch we can turn on and off that often reducing stress means not just changing our mindset about something, but actually like making fundamental changes in our life. And I feel like that is the resistance to that, the resistance to facing the fact that like maybe some of our life isn't what we want it to be is where a lot of this obsessiveness about food fixing the problem comes from. Yeah, definitely. And that is a really hard thing to face, right? Because everybody has what I call like surface stress, right? So you've got like your job, you've got exercise, you've got travel, not now, but you know, other times and you've got family or partner obligations or, you know, living alone in a fucking pandemic, you know, like all this other stuff. But that doesn't even begin to like go beneath the surface, right? If we're thinking about like an iceberg analogy, like that's all the shit that's above the water, nothing that's in like the deep blue sea, right? 
And that's where therapy can be really helpful. But it's also, you have to be in a place where you're willing to go a little bit deeper. So one of the most common exercises that I do with my clients is called like a stress bucket exercise. And I have them write down like brain dump style every single thing that could be contributing to their stress bucket. But the most important thing here is to explain that stress isn't just things that make you feel like you want to rip your hair out, right? right? It's like anything that's a should for you, anything that I'm supposed to be doing, anything that's kind of like weighing on you. And it's not just in the present moment either, right? If you've got like unresolved shit going on, if you've got, you know, even if you're in a happy relationship, I'm sure there are still things about your yeah. partner that bother you, right? And they just start nagging you away. This isn't doesn't even go into, you know, like past trauma, institutionalized racism, living in the U.S. in 2021, you know, like all of that other stuff. And part of that... Like you, we can't change, for example, what is going on in this country, like on a dime, like that's not possible. But what you can do is change the way that you internalize all of this stress and get rid of some of the little shit that we don't need to be stressing about. Right. So, but you have to be willing to go deeper, right? It's kind of like, okay, if I'm in a place where I'm feeling completely burned out, what are the things that you feel like you could never give up? Those are the things you need to give up, right? So people who come to me and they're completely burned out, they're like, I drink, you know, coffee every day. And then I also have an energy drink and I do CrossFit classes and I am a like, you know, whatever, six or seven figure CEO and I never sleep and all the things I'm like, okay, so we're going to start there, (laughs) (laughs) you know, because it's like, They call adrenal fatigue the 21st century syndrome, right? And it makes total sense because we're just completely like over plugged in and over demanded and over stimulated and over all of the things. And biologically, we're really like not meant to deal with all of this stuff that we're dealing with on a daily basis. And again, not even going below the surface, right? And the other thing that I find is a really big roadblock to here is like going back to those past traumas or going to those fears that you are not enough or you'll never be accepted or you'll never find someone or, you know, all of the things. This is why a lot of people, when they first go to therapy, like will go into like start having anxiety or like start having depression when they're trying to work through all of that stuff. Cause they're like, I've been suppressing yeah. this for years and diet and exercise. And now it's coming out and it can feel like I don't want to do this anymore because it was easier right. to just shove this shit down when I didn't have to think about it. When you know, in the long term it will be better, but you have to be willing to realize that like it might get a little bit worse before it gets better. And that feels really shitty. And honestly, that's kind of what happens when you go on any of these like, you know, healing protocols too. Like if you've got a parasite, if you've got some kind of gut infection, there's what we call like a die off period where you feel like absolute balls for like the first two or three weeks, because you're getting all of that stuff out of your system. It's the same kind of thing when you're digging into these like deep seated beliefs and fears that you have about yourself or about the world. And, you know, going into all of your messiness, 
happiness, whether it's just you alone or it involves other people too, or, you know, whatever it is, there might be a lot of crying. There might be periods where you feel like you're really depressed. There might be, you know, all that stuff. And that's why it's so important to work with a qualified practitioner to like help guide you through all of this. Please don't (laughs) do it on your own. Any of this stuff, right? Yeah. But it is really hard. Like, and it's (laughs) when we think about these layers and we're thinking that doing an elimination diet is going to fix it, it's almost laughable. But at the same time, it's like, shit, this is what we're being told every single day. They tell you, and we you know, said this earlier in the podcast, like, oh, do you feel out of control? Just do another round of this elimination diet. Well, maybe you feel out of control with food because one, the all or nothing mentality that's been you know conditioned into you, but because you don't know what's going to happen in your relationship. You're afraid you're going to lose your job. You have all of this unresolved past trauma that's physiologically showing up in your body in different areas of your body because it's unresolved. But at the same time, working through that trauma is almost like another trauma because depending on how long ago it was, you have to relive it when you're going through therapy with it. Yeah, that for sure happened to me. I mean, and there's so many different points to make here. I mean, I think one people because they're so accustomed to living in a certain way that they're not cognizant of like how long their body they have been punishing their body or like how long their body is just trying to hold on to like the very last resilience you know and I think we go a long time we can go a long time like treating our bodies like shit before we start to see symptoms I feel like symptoms are like the last ditch effort of our body like hello like (laughs) not okay um and for such for a society that's so disconnected to their intuition and we're so disconnected from our bodies like it really does take like serious you know ailments and symptoms and and sickness um to be made aware of these things and you know, I think once you are made aware of them and you're like, oh shit, I have symptoms, like, and I fell into this trap too of thinking like, okay, cool, like I'll just do this parasite protocol and I'll just like do this, 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 and this, and I will quickly solve this problem because these symptoms only just recently appeared and I didn't understand like how much damage actually needed to be repaired that I wasn't totally conscious of. And then, you know, it was also very fascinating to me because I'd, I'd sort of like suffered mildly. It was like always gut stuff, always skin stuff, like just like the very common, especially female expressions of, I think, like stress and hormonal imbalance, which is caused by a whole bunch of other stuff. Um, but it wasn't until I finally had the space and time to heal that like, like, that's when it got worse. Like I had finally like I left my shitty marriage. I like moved in by myself. I like had more time. I was like living in a peaceful location. And that's when all of that stuff came out of my body. And thankfully I was sort of cognizant of that. I was like, Oh wow. I'm like processing a lot of these traumas. And I feel like my body's like doing it too. Um, but it is, I do think sometimes we hold it in and we hold it in and our bodies are really fucking resilient because we need to survive. And then the second we actually have the time and space to process and heal, we think like, why am I not being rewarded now? Like I should be rewarded. That's how I felt at least. And it was just like really, really bad. Um, and that, yeah, that can feel really terrible. And I don't think that's like a process or a a thing that happens that very many people are familiar with or expect. Um, yeah, not a lot of people talk about it. I remember that pro- parasite protocol you did. That was <laughs> oh my God. really intense. <laughs> and of course, like it was made worse by the like the fact that that was prescribed to begin with 
And like the fact, because to me, it seems like all of the hormonal or gut issues that I had were caused by the stress. And to me, it was like, why am I being told to go on this protocol while I'm simultaneously still really dealing with the stress here and still at a time when I wasn't even like I remember talking and she was wonderful, like the woman that I worked with. And I remember saying, like, well, I don't feel very stressed. And she's like, what's going on in your life? Like, you just got divorced. You, like, moved out of your house. Like, what do you mean? Like, your fucking skin's, like, inflamed. Like, how do, how do you not think this is, like, one of the most stressful events of your entire life? So that was part of it. But still there was no, like, and maybe because she was more of a naturopathic doctor, not a therapist. But to me, that was so... It was such a bad decision to, to put my body, right? Because, like, those protocols are stressful to your body and your body's already experiencing stress from the emotional side of it. So like, to me, it was like, deal with the emotional stuff, deal with your life stuff, get to a place of strength, then do the parasite protocol. Um, and there was also nothing stopping me. Cause I was just like, I, this is my personality. Like, I'm just going to go all in, you know? So it's like, yeah, let's do the coffee enemas every single day. Like, why are you doing that? <laughs> Cause I thought I would just, it would go faster. Like the harder you go, the quicker I would heal. Um, And I don't know. I mean, I think thankfully it got to the point where, you know, I had like these little like daily supplement holders, like an old person. And like it got to the point where like going to take those supplements and I was taking like, God, I must've been taking 16 different supplements a day, just like insane. And it got to the point where I couldn't physically like get myself to like open the container and take it without feeling so nauseated. Like I was so triggered by the supplements that one day I was just like, actually, I'm just going to stop everything like no more. And that's when it got better. Um, of course, like simultaneously dealing with the emotional piece, but yeah, it, it was a little bit shocking to have this like come to Jesus moment of realizing how bad this got, like how much I avoided other things by like the, the, you know, the, the cabinet full that we all have of like supplements we've never opened. (laughs) Yeah. Terrible. Yeah. And you know, what's interesting is, you know, we're talking about the stress piece here and how for most people they would do much better in healing to deal with the stress piece before they do any of these protocols. Now, I think a lot of functional medicine practitioners are operating from the place of, well, this gut stuff is causing a lot of physical stress. So if we get rid of it, then it'll help at least one thing. And so people will choose to go one of two different ways. But like, I mean, honestly, (laughs) looking at the situation that you were in, then it's like, what, what, like, why would we ever (laughs) go this way? Especially because those parasite protocols and really any like gut protocol that you have to do to get rid of things and flush your body out is a massive physical stress on the body. I call it like expensive for my clients because, well, mostly I do those kinds of protocols under the functional medicine doctor that I work for because it's not my practice. I just work for them. But, um, most people will, you know, talk to me and they're like, Oh my God, I'm so exhausted while I'm doing this. And I feel, you know, just like tumultuous on the inside. I'm like, your body is working 
so hard right now to get rid of this stuff. It's basically doing like an extra high intensity workout every single day to try and get rid of this. Is it going to be better on the other side? Yeah, but you probably need to eat more. You need to sleep more. You need to prioritize rest. You need to see where is the other stress coming from in my life and how can I possibly reduce that right now? Because this is, we just added more to your stress bucket with the goal of, you know, eventually reducing it and getting out this dysbiosis or these parasites fungus, yeast, the whole nine yards. But in the meantime, it's like you kind of have to be in the right physical space in order to successfully execute one of those things. So as an example, like I get a lot of people who come to me in my practice that have small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, which is a really nasty, like piece of shit diagnosis that is really hard to get rid of. And it's really common that it comes back. So the traditional way to get rid of this, which also this was not recognized as a real diagnosis in like allopathic medicine or Western medicine until very recently. So that's at least one win. But the way that they typically will deal with it is doing an antibiotic, sometimes alone, um, and sometimes with this thing called the elemental diet, which is basically like a two-week It's not a juice cleanse because that's too much sugar for SIBO, but it's basically two weeks of eating shakes. And what do you think happens to people when they have a fucked up relationship with food after they do that thing? They binge like crazy. They eat all of the foods that they weren't allowed to eat on the SIBO protocol. Surprise, SIBO is fed by carbohydrates and sugar. So what do you think happens after they do the antibiotic and the elimination diet? The SIBO comes back, right? So... That's one example of how like elimination diets not going to fix everything. And those people would have done much better to, again, work on the stress, figure out where the SIBO even came from, right? Like that's another thing. Why are we just treating the problem without figuring out where it came from in the first place? But then also helping with their relationship with food, because if you don't, they're just going to have another remission of the SIBO. Right. Yeah. I I remember after going through all of this, like one of the tests that I ordered that I had was the test for SIBO. And I knew that like I couldn't deal with that before I dealt with the other things I was dealing with, like the bacterial and the parasite thing. And I just decided after that, like after going through all of it, I was like, I'm just not going to take this test. Like, I don't really give a shit anymore. Like, I don't care what the fuck it says I have. Like, I'm not doing any of this stuff anymore. Um, And I think it's probably likely that I would have tested positive for SIBO. And I don't know the answer to that question, but I know that like I don't have gut issues anymore and I'm fine. Um, And certainly that I think maybe partially as a result or because of the elimination shit that I did and the detoxes that I did. But I think also just like choosing a new life and being happy and building my strength. Like, I don't know, maybe I have it, maybe I don't. But it's uh, it's just interesting how the information about what we have can also cause a lot of a lot of stress and a lot of like self punishing behavior. Yeah. Um, And I don't, I also don't think like people, you know, I started and I felt really badly about this and I'm sure you did too, because a lot of these people are my friends, but I started to realize like how much of the health and wellness community, like how many of us bloggers were also just really unhealthy. And like we were doing our best to like share what kind of had worked for us to the masses but, like, there are so many people in this world, in, in the paleo blogger world, or just the food blogger world in general, but especially paleo blogger world, that are, like, seriously ill. 
like very, very sick and still are after like 10, even 15 years of doing this. And, you know, we don't as like consumers, I don't think we're recognizing that at all. And we just think these people are like magicians or like the people we want to be like. And they're struggling to sometimes potentially worse than the people they're trying to give advice to. (laughs) Right. This is honestly, it is such an epidemic and it like, it is so bad in like the, I mean, we used to call them food bloggers. Now they're influencers, right? Um, (laughs) In like the influencer world, but man, I mean, there are so many people out there and it's, it's easy for me to see now being on the other side of all of this and working with people that have issues with their health and their relationship with food and their relationship with their bodies. But there are people who you can tell definitely as a practitioner, but also just as, you know, like a regular consumer of information, these people will post like what I ate in a day. And I'm like, um, there are three year olds that eat more than this. (laughs) And then, and then they'll like post a picture of their body and they're like, you want to look like me? You got to eat like me and work out like me. It's like, you're prescribing anorexia. That's cool. Like what the hell? And honestly, like if you think it's bad in the food blogger world, you should see it in the professional realm in dietetics and nutrition. Because like, quite honestly, to be transparent here, the reason I got into dietetics was because I was obsessed with food and I wanted to learn exactly what I had to do to heal myself. Food is medicine. Okay. Yeah. Dana, you had an eating disorder. You just didn't know what else to do with your career because the only things that you were passionate about were working out and eating and cooking Mm. and obsessing over food. And honestly, now that I'm more in the like non-diet space, every single dietitian that I know and nutritionists that's in the non-diet or farther on the anti-diet space, all of them had either an eating disorder or a really messed up relationship with food, which was one of the reasons that they got into dietetics or nutrition in the first place. Now, there are many more traditional dietitians than there are non-diet or anti-diet dietitians. And you can see in the things that they talk about and the way that they teach and the things that they post, they're still in it and they have no idea, which is the even more harmful thing because then it's like, well, if they're talking about this for themselves, what do you think they're telling their patients? You know? And it's like, the ironic thing is that in dietetics and in medicine, there's a do no harm principle. But tell me how giving someone a 1200 calorie diet to follow is not in violation of the do no harm principle. Like what in the hell? So it's, I mean, it's systemic, you know, it needs to change from the bottom up, which unfortunately, like the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics is not doing anything to change not only their guidelines, which again, are very whitewashed, but then also there are only there's the statistic is something like There are only 7% of people of color who are in the professional dietetics space. And there are Mm. so many different barriers to people getting into that space, money, professional education, availability of internships, you know, all of the things. And so the community itself doesn't change because everything is staying the same, right? Like luckily with the advent of functional medicine becoming more popular and the whole like 
non-diet community becoming more popular, hopefully there will be some kind of institutional systemic change so we can get away from like prescribing people 1200 freaking calories for like a full grown ass woman. Like, what are you talking about? Right. But honestly, the, the problem is like more the media and the way that research is conducted to be manipulated so that it can show exactly what the researchers want it to show, which then plays into the food as medicine stuff. They're like, oh, well, you know, this person or like this type of person is going to be susceptible to, you know, all of these diseases if they eat these things. But then if you look at the way that they conducted the study, it's basically like, okay, they chose people in larger bodies who eat standard American diet, McDonald's all of the time to people that are primarily eating like vegetarian or Mediterranean diet that are already in genetically smaller bodies and you're telling me which one has better health markers. Well, obviously (laughs) the people that are eating, you know, nutrient dense foods and not the people who are eating McDonald's six times a day, but yet they conflate that to being, well, it's actually just the body size that's different. And it's like, Hmm. people don't know about the disparities in the research, which is then fueling the media machine and fueling the food as medicine machine. And here we go with the orthorexia and the moralization around body size. Yes, for sure. And I also think that there is a baseline just like lack of reality around, you know, I think the fact is like our lives are so disconnected. Like we don't have community. We don't have people to help us. Like we're expected to work a full-time job, have kids, work out, cook food. Like these are, this is an impossibility. Like there is literally no way that any human being can accomplish what needs to be accomplished in order them in order for them to live like a healthy life without making i think some fundamental changes and that's really difficult because like our society as a whole is based on that expectation and is structured around those things and i i wonder if you come across that too like it's you know even for me like i think i have a very healthy relationship to food at this point i feel healthy my body's in good shape but also like I'm very cognizant of how much time it takes. I'm cognizant of like how much money it takes for me to like buy a fucking cow, local cow and like share it with my friends. You know, there's a lot of effort and a lot of resources put into that. And I think this is also where we're like just chickens like running around with our heads cut off, like trying to fix a problem within a broken structure and not looking at like the overall systemic nature of all of this of like, how much would it just help everybody if like, there was another person in their household that like helped to cook like just that simple little fact, you know? Um, yeah. It's like just overwhelm. Yeah, it really is. And I frequently feel like a chicken with his head cut off. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, so like I have my own business. I live alone, right? Like I have to do all of these things for myself. And I'm also like, I'm a one woman show, right? I don't have a virtual assistant. I don't have anybody who edits my podcast. Like I do all the clients. I work for someone else. I also like, I do all of this other shit. Like I used to have part-time jobs, swim coaching, no more because of COVID. Right. But I mean, the kind of nice thing about that is it's allowed me to go hundred percent full in on my business. But then it's like, when you have more time and you're an entrepreneur, you're like, well, I got to be doing more things. So what did I do? Create online courses, you know, started writing a book, like, you know, developed all these other products and stuff. And it's like, sometimes there's so much going around in our heads that we like forget to take care of ourselves. And then it's like, you know, there's this myth of like, 
you know, the traditional like super mom myth or like the myth of balance, like no one can be everywhere a hundred percent of the time. Right. Like they say like, Oh, don't half-ass anything. And it's like, no, if you're everywhere, you are half-assing everything, you know? And sometimes that's perfectly fine. Like it's good enough, you know, because you really can't, for example, unless your job as like an influencer is to like make this beautiful food and like eat beautiful food and do all of these crazy workouts that you get free exercise equipment from companies that send it to you. And then yeah. all you do all day is like eat and work out and post about it. If that's your whole life and then, you know, that's all synergistic together, then okay, cool. But then like, you know, how's your actual health? How's your relationship with food? How are your relationships with other people? Probably not great. If all you're doing is obsessing over your body and obsessing over every single thing that you put in your mouth and obsessing over your followers and whether or not they like you anymore, you know, that that's not a healthy balance either. And that doesn't even speak to people who have normal ass jobs, who have a family, who have past trauma, who have all these other health conditions, who have everything else going on. Like, like you said, it's, it's really impossible to do all of that a hundred, a hundred percent. And it's would be so refreshing if we could all just be like, nobody can do it all. And if you can, then it only seems like you can, but it's really not, that's not the reality. And you have no idea what's going on behind the scenes. Right. Yeah, no one can do it all. And also, like, everyone's at a, everyone's on a different journey and also at a different point of the journey. Like, I remember talking about this in uh, some other episodes where I talked about food that, like, it came to the point for me after all of this where I thought that just, like, eating a goddamn piece of bread or, like, having ice cream was actually what I needed to improve my health because my eating became so self-punishing, became so so controlling that the stress of not eating the food was actually more harmful to me than just allowing myself the pleasure of eating it. But that's that was where I was at then. I couldn't have done that two years prior in the period of time that I was in. You know, like that wouldn't have worked. I wasn't, I didn't reach that point. Um, and I think that's the other issue with these like just sort of one size fits all mainstream approaches that it's like not you may be there on your journey at some point, but maybe that's like just not what's best for you now. Um, And there's a complete lack of awareness around around that, too. And I think just like part of the part of the problem of like following an influencer or following a diet program is like it really is about you (laughs) specifically. Um, And we just sort of forget that. So what would you recommend sort of like wrapping up to people who are feeling like they are caught in this hamster wheel of like what would be sort of step number one to try and figure out like the root cause or how to actually solve these problems? Yeah. Um, So the first thing that I would do would be to unfollow, and this can be social media or real life, um, Anyone or anything that makes you feel like you should be doing something that you're not or that you should be something that you're not. Um, So the first one of the first steps is always like getting the toxic triggers or like as many as you can out of your tunnel vision, right? Because there's only so many things that we can consume every day. And if 50% of the stuff that you're consuming is making you feel like crap, then that's already a massive stress, right? Right. Um, The other thing that I would avoid or unfollow is anybody or anything that basically says this is the only way to do it or you're never going to get better. 
no matter what realm that's in fitness, nutrition, self-help, whatever, right. I would unfollow them as well. Um, and if you feel like, you know, any of the things that we have talked about today are hitting home for you, I would highly recommend reaching out to a specialist or a professional, whether that's a therapist or, you know, a dietitian nutritionist like myself, like you guys are more than welcome to, you know, send me emails, Instagram, whatever. Um, but, you know, thinking about like, what could be below the surface of like, what could be your root cause? You know, like if you are someone who really struggles with your body image and relationship with food, or you have a chronic health condition, you know, thinking about, okay, where might that have come from that is outside of my control? Because the answer is never going to be, okay, I just need to have more control. I just need to have more control. That's what got us here in the first place, right? And just giving yourself a gentle reminder that like, if you're not okay right now, it's okay. Most people are not okay right now, right? (laughs) Like regardless of how you survived 2020, this is something I was talking about, um, you know, at the end of December, like if you survived, like if you're here listening to this podcast, your body did exactly what it was supposed to do last year by keeping you alive, no matter how it may have changed in looks or size or anything like that. Right. And so if you find that, for example, like you're having a lot of issues with your relationship with food, then we look to, okay, well, is it because you've got a lot of issues with your body image and you're trying to fix that by controlling your food? Is it because of past trauma? You know, it's always, there's always a deeper layer, right? And if it seems like it's a surface solution, it's probably not deep enough, but also, you know, like this shit is hard, right? Dieting is easy, compared to all of this, right? Which is another reason why a lot of people go back to that. Dieting is a coping mechanism that many people used during 2020 when they felt completely out of control, right? Very um, concrete example. Like we had no control over what was going on in the world. So it's like, what's one thing I can control? I'm going to do an elimination diet, which is a coping mechanism. And it's something that you use. And I also don't want you to beat yourself up about that, right? Don't beat yourself up about things that you have been taught were okay, even if you realize now that they may have not been in your best long-term interests. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you. Okay. So tell everyone where they can find you and how they can reach out. And then I always ask everyone if they could recommend one or two, if you want books to the audience that were like really instrumental and meaningful for you in your life. What yes. would that book be? Um, I'm a huge book nerd. I read a lot. Um, so yes, I can do that. Um, okay. So my name's Dana again. Um, probably best place to find me Well, you can find me many places, but if you guys have a question for me, you can email me. Um, It's hello at realfoodwithdana.com. If you want to find my website, it's realfoodwithdana.com. My podcast is mostly about um, like busting nutrition bullshit and uh, body image and relationship with food. That's called Real Talk with Dana. And then my Instagram is my name, Dana Monsies underscore CNS. Um, For book stuff, looking back at my... (laughs) bookshelf because I have all of the things. Um, So I would say one thing that really like shattered me from the inside out um, is Daring Greatly by Brene Brown. Um, 
I read that while I was on vacation with my family and no joke, I had to put sunglasses on in the car because there were tears streaming down my face. And I was like, I need to cover this up. And then I was like, actually, maybe I just need to go to therapy. <laughs> you know, like it was a, it was a earth shattering moment for me. And I was like, oh my God, that was like a really big moment for me. Um, and then I really like, this is very kind of kitschy, but like every year I reread The Alchemist and I get something different from it every single year. Um, but in terms of like an action type thing for people, I really love the book um, Beyond Beautiful by Anushka Reese. So if you're really mm-hmm. struggling with your body image, that is a great one. Um, it talks about a lot of the like institutionalized beauty norms that are in this culture. This is specifically a book for um, people who identify as women also. Um, but it also has what she calls like um, Beyond Beautiful toolboxes in there for what she calls like little body image emergencies. Um, Mm. So it gives you like action steps that you can do too. So um, if you want to go deep into your feels, go to Brene Brown. (laughs) If you're having some body (laughs) image stuff and you need help, I would go to Beyond Beautiful. (laughs) Amazing. Thank you so much, Dana. This was so fun. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Hello again. Thank you for listening to that conversation. Um, Please check out Dana and her work if any of that resonated with you. Again, if you would like to join the Lunar Circle, uh, we begin mid-March, anyakotz.com slash Lunar Circle. If you have any questions, please feel free to reach out and ask me. If you want to get involved more in this community, but the Lunar Circle doesn't interest you, or you maybe want to do that later on, Patreon is the place to go, patreon.com slash anyakotz. Uh, Depending on what tier you sign up for, I offer WhatsApp group chats for you and other listeners to get to know each other, playlists, t-shirts, stickers, I was going to say a worldwide contact list, a podcast-wide listener contact list, Um, uh, workshops taught by by me, taught by other patrons, um, taught by former guests. I literally always forget all of the perks that I offer on Patreon because there are so many. So if you want more information, patreon.com slash Anya Kotz is the place to do that. Always feel free to reach out to me for any reason. If something resonated with you, if something didn't, if you want to share something, if you have a suggestion for a future guest on a future podcast, I love, love, love hearing from you guys and making these connections in more sort of profound, intimate ways. So you can always email me, anyakots at gmail.com. Send me anything. Songs too. I love hearing music. Music you think might work on the podcast. Um, I'm going to play you out with a Janelle Money song called I Like That. And um, this is just like a badass bitch, like I don't care what you think of me song. And uh, there's this one point in the song where she talks about like someone bullying her in school and being like, fuck you, I know I'm the shit. I I cannot say I had that level of confidence in high school at all, um, but I really wish I did. And I hope um, I hope that more of us are able to feel that confidence growing up and to really not allow the external to affect us so deeply and cause us to want to change our bodies or think that we're wrong or just take out our insecurities in unhealthy ways. So get up, dance to this song, feel into your badassery, and I will catch you all next time. Love you guys.